Good morning once again. It's great to see you guys uh, here in the room with us and welcome if you're tuning in, watching with us online. We are actually uh, in week number three. It's hard to believe we're already here. Week three of a series called Fight My Battles. As you just kind of saw a moment ago, we're talking about how does God want us to engage in the battleground that our world has become. In case you haven't noticed, our world feels like a battleground a lot of the time. And so I want to begin, if I could, uh, have, have you ever heard this statement? Good news travels fast, bad news travels faster. And mo I'm guessing most of you have heard this statement, right? And, and maybe I would add to this, fake news travels fastest of all, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> good news travels fast. This is really true, isn't it? Bad news tends to travel faster. Um, as you think about the world that, you know, we're living in right now and the, the times that, that we're that are happening, 2020 has given us no shortage of bad news. Uh, you know, fires are burning out of control in the West. We had a record, I just read this last week, <laughs> the hurricane season for this year was like a record hurricane and tropical storm season since like 1916, it hasn't been that bad. Of course, 2020 would be the year where we have that. Uh, you know, racial and political unrest, a pandemic and all these questions about where that's going. And what happens is the bad news sort of, you know, dominates everything, and we talk about it a lot. It's just what we spend our time talking about with each other is kind of the bad news that's happening in our world. And so here's the question I want to ask you. When was the last time, really think about this, when was the last time that you had such good news to share that it was like you couldn't wait to share it? Like you couldn't dial the number or write the text message or make the social media post fast enough it, because, because it was just bursting out of you. You had such good news and you couldn't wait for people to hear it. When was the last time you had that feeling? Maybe it was family news. You know, we're engaged. We're pregnant. Or, you know, we just, they accepted the offer on our house. You know, whatever it was. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it was job related. And it was, you know, hey, I just landed my dream job. I just got promoted. Or I just quit my job. I told my boss, you know, whatever. Maybe it was that. Uh, maybe it was health-related. I just got the report back from the doctor, and it shows I'm cancer-free. When was the last time you had news like that? Uh, no, no, that wasn't what I was saying. That was an example. Thank you, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've given you an example. When was the last time you had news like that that was just bursting out of you because you were so excited to share it? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but for me, I need those kind of things right now. Whenever anybody shares something, any, even just like a tiny little piece of good news, I find myself just sort of clinging to it, like kind of leaning into it, like, oh, I want to hear that. Have you noticed this as well? It's like any piece of good news, I just, I just want to hear it. I cling to it. And the reason for that is because good news is most clearly seen in the backdrop of the worst life circumstances. You've heard it said, the light always shines brightest in the darkness. You see the light most clearly, and, it, and its value goes up in the darkest times. Good news is always so much more visible to us in the backdrop of bad news, in the backdrop of life altering, difficult, challenging circumstances. We're going to look at a story today, a battle story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
And so if you're watching online, you can go to the Bible app if you want, or the Zero Collective app, or you can, um, in the room, you can turn there with me. But this is actually a pretty obscure story in Scripture. So the last couple weeks, we've looked at the Battle of Jericho and the story of Gideon and the Midianites. Those stories are pretty well known. A lot of people, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've been in church for any amount of time in your life, you've probably heard those stories. Today, we're going to look at a story that unless you've really read the Bible a lot, you probably have never even zeroed in on this story. So let me set the stage for you a little bit. The Old Testament city of Samaria is experiencing bad news, okay? So at this time in Israel's history, it's a divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, the, the city of Samaria is kind of the main city. And so it was a large city. It, was wall, it had a wall around it. And so what's happening at this point in 2 Kings chapter 6 is the army of Aram, the Arameans, have come and they have laid siege to the city of Samaria. They're trying to sack it. And as we talked about last week, what you would do in ancient warfare tactics during this time is if you had to take a city with a, with a high wall all the way around it, what you would do is that you would take your army and you would surround the city with your army and you would basically encamp yourself around the army. You would cut off all the supply lines and basically you would try to starve the people out. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out, no water, no food, and you're basically, it's a, you're waiting them out. And that's what's happening here in the story. That's the situation God's people are finding themselves in. So this is uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 24. It says, sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Seriously, can you imagine paying that much for your dove's dung? So, so what, what is, why is it telling us this about a donkey's head and dove's dung? What the text is trying to tell us, it's trying to clue us into how bad this moment really, really is. How bad this famine is for God's people. Dove's dung was actually a plant. And it was a plant that you would never eat. You would never want to eat it. Thus the name dove's dung. Because it wouldn't be something that would taste good. And a donkey's head, a donkey was an unclean animal for God's people. And the head of an animal would be like the absolute last part of an animal that you would ever want to eat. So it's telling us even like a donkey's head and dove's dung is selling for this high exorbitant price. In other words, people are desperate. They are just desperate. The text tells us, I won't, I'll spare you this, uh, the actual reading of it, but the next kind of account it tells us in the text is that it had gotten so bad that people had begun cannibalizing their own children. So like we'll eat my baby this week and then next week we'll eat your baby. That's what's happening in the city. Do you imagine living under those kind of conditions? Do you imagine you know, what it would be like every single day you wake up is this desperate search for just a crumb of bread or a drop of water? Disease is spreading and rampant. You know, parents are watching their children starve to death. Children are watching their parents waste away and die. And, and there's no way out. You're trapped in the city. And there's just this dark, cloud of fear that just hovers over the city. Can you imagine what it felt like to be in this place? But most of us in this room, maybe none of us in this room, have ever experienced that. Maybe we, we've never been in a situation where we felt this way and, and where, where our situation was that dire. But I would say in the last six months, uh, 
Have you felt under siege? Not maybe physically in a sense of trapped inside, maybe trapped inside your house has felt like that. Have you felt under siege? Uh, I know people who right now, it seems like their marriage is under siege and they're in the fight of their life for their marriage. I, I know people who they're in the fight of their life for their kids. It seems like their kids are under siege. Uh, mental health. For many of us, our mental health has been under siege. August, for whatever reason, seemed to be the month. I feel like uh, the people I knew, friends of mine and people who were part of here uh, hit Frontline, if they already had some mental health struggles with anxiety or depression, I don't know what it was about the month of August. I felt like the month of August was where a lot of those people just hit the wall. They just kind of went off the cliff. It's kind of continued on. People are struggling. It feels like our mental health is just under siege. Maybe your faith is under siege right now. I mean, we have a sense of what this feels like but when we find ourselves in a situation and we just become desperate, we just become hopeless. That's the situation that God's people are in. Maybe that's the situation you're in today. Let's take a look at what happens next in the story. Next thing we're told it says, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. And when you read that, you say, okay, four men with leprosy. In, in our world today, in our context, we don't really have, we don't have a context for the disease of leprosy. Medical advancements have basically rendered that disease something that we just really don't deal with in our culture today. But this was an absolutely feared disease at this time. Um, it was a highly contagious disease. And basically what would happen is leprosy would eat away your skin and your extremities inch by inch. It was painful. It was ugly. It was slow. And so notice where they're sitting. It says they're sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Well, the reason for this is because lepers were basically forced into social isolation. I mean, talk about social distancing. I mean, they were forced away from their community. So they are, even though the city is under siege, they are as far away as they possibly can be from their community. They're right at the entrance of the city gates and completely isolated. Even the enemy would, be, would have been afraid of them. Even the enemy wouldn't have you know, wanted to come near lepers. That's the situation they're in. They're just completely de desperate. Take a look at what happens next. This is the lepers. They say, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, well, we would have died anyway. Don't you love these guys? I just, I love their attitude. I, I love the way they're going. See, it's, it's not really like an act of faith. It's not like they're bolstered with this bold move of faith. You know, the other stories we've looked at in this, in this series, it's like this story about somebody going up against the enemy because they have this bold faith and this dramatic trust in God. That's not, that's not these guys. Their, their basic, you know, mentality is like, well, we're dead anyway, right? Like we've got leprosy. We're dying of leprosy. If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go back in the city, we're just going to starve to death with all the people in the city. I don't know. We might as well just go down to the enemy and see if they'll help us out and give us some food or something. I mean, and if they kill us, oh, well, like we were going to die anyway. Might as well just try it. It's not really like faith and trust in God that's motivating them to go toward the enemy. It's just desperation. They're just looking for any, just, they're just unwilling to just lay there and die in their hopelessness. They're unwilling to just kind of surrender to their situation, and so they've decided they're just going to go looking and just try something. That's the attitude. 
Can I tell you, I think that is where most people in our world are right now. Especially right now. It's, it's not really faith that's driving them or, or anything, it's, but they're desperate. They're looking for hope. They're, they're looking for any kind of answers. They, need, they want help with their marriage. They're looking for help with their kids. They're looking for help with the addictions that, they are, that they're wrestling with. Or, and and they're, just, they're kind of trying things on. They're trying out this substance or this relationship or this whatever it is, and they're just kind of trying, walking around just looking for something. They don't even know that what they're ultimately hungry for, that what they're ultimately looking for can only be satisfied in the person of Jesus. They don't know that. They don't have some inner sense of faith that's driving them toward that. They're just, well, might as well try this. We'll see what happens. During the pandemic, uh, the mo- well, the most searched for book on Google ever since 2003 has been the Bible. But in the last six months, that has gone up dramatically. And Google uh, reported that um, during the pandemic, spiritual topics went up for being searched for on Google. Also, toilet paper and how to cut your own hair. That also went up uh, during the pandemic. But, but questions, people began asking questions, and those questions came to the top of the most searched for subjects by Google. Subject, you know, questions like, is God real? Questions like, how do you pray? Um, are we in the end times? Is Jesus coming back soon? Those kinds of questions went up. People they're searching for something. They're hungry. They're looking for answers somewhere. So take a look at what happens here to our, to our uh, lepers, to our friends. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Aramaeans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. Do you get this picture in your head? Imagine this scenario here for, you know, this entire army, like 100,000 men has camped around the city walls, the people are inside starving to death, and these lepers are like, well, we're going to die anyway. We might as well just go out there and see what happens. So they kind of like walk out there, and the army's gone. God has caused them to have this, you know, they, they've heard the sound of this other army. They all got scared. They literally ran off thinking they were under attack, and they leave all their camp. They leave the tents. They leave the donkeys. They leave the horses. They leave all their supplies. Inside the tents are food and water, and resources, that the, the abundance of 100,000 men is just sitting there. Get a, get a picture of this. Right behind the lepers, right inside that city wall, people are starving to death. They're eating donkey head and dove's dung. They're cannibalizing their own children. They're so incredibly desperate. Just a few feet away from these lepers, and they're standing there looking, and God has provided this miracle. He's He's already taken care of the enemy. He's already driven them off, and nobody's there. Everything that the people inside the city need is, is right here, surrounding the city, in the camp. So what are the lepers supposed to do with that? It's almost like 
people sitting inside a prison cell, but somebody's unlocked the prison cell door and opened it. And, and you know, it's, are you just going to keep sitting there? What are you going to do? There's a situation that's been pre presented. And so what the lepers decide to do, and you can read it on your own if you want, if you want to read the story in its entirety, they decide to go tent hopping. <laughs> they're just like, woohoo, this is great. So they literally start going around from tent to tent, and they're just eating, and they're drinking, and they take silver and gold, and they begin to bury it. Like, are you serious? You guys are lepers. You're going to die of leprosy. What do you need to hide gold for? You got some bright future, you know, that you're looking forward to? You're, you're going to die of leprosy very soon here. Like, they're hoarding stuff. They're burying silver and gold. They're eating as much as they can. They're, they're drinking. They're partying. They're having a big time. And this just goes on for a period of time. It's this incredibly selfish moment. Until finally, and this is the pivotal verse of the entire story. This is the big kind of moment. Everything kind of hinges on this verse. This, this moment finally happens. In verse 9, it says, Finally, they said to each other, This is not right. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. It's like, it's like after just partying and selfishly kind of gorging and hoarding things for themselves, they finally sort of have this moment. Wait a minute. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. How dare we keep it to ourselves? How dare we just kind of take things for ourselves and not even think about all these people inside this city, our families, our friends, people we've grown up, the community we've grown up with. How dare we not share that with them? How, we, how dare we do that? And they have this kind of awakening, this moment where they realize what they're doing. And so what they do from this moment is they eventually do go back into the city. They eventually do share the news with the town of Samaria. And so in one moment, just like that, the entire city goes from starving to death and dying, eating donkey head and dove's dung and eating each other's children. And in one moment, they come out and the problem is solved. They have the abundance of 100,000 men and their entire situation is turned around and flipped just like that. But, but here's the key thing you have to understand about the story. This is the major part of the story you have to understand. That if no one told them, they would have just died in the city. See, when God provided this miracle, he causes the army to hear uh, this other army, and they get scared, and they run away. God solved the problem, right? There's, uh, there's the abundance of the army. It's not like God goes up to the city wall and goes, hey, hey, you guys, look out. Is anybody, can you guys go look over the wall? Hey, just want to let you know I did this thing. God doesn't do that. He took care of their need. He solved the problem. They're still dying in the city. And they would have. Maybe eventually the army would have come back. They would have realized there was no army, and they would have come back and just surrounded the city wall again, taken up the siege. The whole point of the story is if no one told them, no one delivered that message, they would have just died inside their city. See, what's so powerful about this story is, is we see in, in it a microcosm. This story points toward the gospel. This one story encapsulates the big story that Scripture tells. Because Jesus went, and he went into the enemy camp on our behalf, and he confronted the threat of death head-on by the cross and by his resurrection. Before we ever went out to check it out for ourselves, before we ever bothered to look over our walls, Jesus took care of it for us. 
And in him, he has provided the most abundant life we could possibly imagine. Jesus in John 10 said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I went into the enemy camp. I laid down my life. I dealt with the threat of death head on. I conquered the grave. It's all there. That life, that hope, that thing that you're so desperate for, it's in me. I took care of it. But just like those lepers, if nobody, if you're inside the city and nobody tells you, your situation remains the same. You just stay stuck in the bad news of your situation because you haven't heard the good news of, of what's, what Jesus has done on our behalf. Christians love to quote Jesus in John chapter 8 as saying, the truth will set you free. I've heard people say this, right? Like, Jesus said the truth will set you free. I hate when people say that because that's actually a misquoting of Jesus. Jesus actually did not say the truth will set you free. That's not what he said. What Jesus actually said in John 8 is he said, then they will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth can't set you free if you don't know it. The truth has the power to set you free. It's only when you know the truth that you can finally set, be set free. And what did Jesus mean by the truth? We find out a few chapters later in that same gospel, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Good news is that Jesus has gone into the enemy camp. He's taken care of it on our behalf. He's given us hope. He's given us a future. He's given us abundant life, even right now, for all of eternity in him. But if nobody tells you that, Nobody comes back in the city and goes, hey, guess what we just found? You just die in the city. And people do. Every single day, people die in their hopelessness in our city. The, the thing we're talking about this morning, is it, the fancy theological uh, Christian word for it is evangelism. And I would, I would say that evangelism is one of the least talked about subjects in the church today. But evangelism, I mean, there's all kinds of fancy definitions for it. It's, you know, going and proclaiming the gospel to the nation. I mean, we have all these fancy, and a lot of times, you know, like we put it on plaques and stuff and assume people get it. I had a professor in college, and I loved, I've, his name was Jim Lowe. I've always loved, from this day, from, from the day I heard him say this in class as a college student to now, I always come back to this in my mind. Um, the way that Jim Lowe, my professor, defined evangelism is he just said, it's one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. That's all evangelism is. It's, it's one leper coming to that point of realization of, wait a minute, this is not right. This is a day of good news. How dare I keep it to myself? It's, it's one beggar going back into the city walls and, and telling another beggar where he found food. That's what evangelism is. The, the reason that this definition has been so powerful for me is because for years and years and years, I think I, I still, even to this day, I wrestle with this idea that somehow I've got to convince people right? That I've got to have like some perfect, you know, ontological argument for the existence of God, you know, and all these kinds of things. That I've got to have some sort of answers. I've ha I have to have the entire Bible memorized and ready to, you know, respond to any question that somebody asks. You don't. That's, that's actually not what evangelism is. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. But the most powerful thing that you have is your own story of what Jesus has done in your life and set you free. It's the most powerful tool you have. You can be a, a, a leper, you know, on the last leg, on your last leg, literally. 
But if you have that, that message of good news, you have the thing that our world most desperately needs. That's the situation we're in. We're, we're simply called to be one beggar telling another beggar where we found food. So what you need in order to do that is you simply need two things, love and urgency. Love and urgency is what's required to tell the good news. And, and, the, and the good news is most clearly seen and most clearly understood in the backdrop of bad news. The times we're living in right now, the more desperate people get, the more the light of the gospel is beautiful and shines and people get it. We're living in that kind of a time. Why do you need love and urgency? If you have love but you don't really have any urgency, what will happen is you'll, you'll, you'll have tolerance for people and you'll care about them from a distance. But at the end of the day, you won't have any urgency to really go and share the good news with them. And if all you have is urgency, but you really don't love people, then all you'll care about is winning arguments and fights and proving your point rather than actually sharing the gospel. You've got to have both. You've got to have genuine love for people and a genuine sense of urgency. Maybe the greatest evangelist of our day, the greatest evangelist of our, of our time, was a guy by the name of Billy Graham. And most everybody in this room has probably heard of Billy Graham. One of, the, one of my favorite quotes by Billy Graham, he said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, and it's my job to love. Post that this afternoon. Uh, how about that? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, it's God's job to judge, it's my job to love. Now notice he, he doesn't say it's my job to tolerate, because tolerance has become the highest value of our culture. No, actually, tolerance actually doesn't ask that much of us. Love actually asks way more of us, because love and urgency require us to engage with people in their sin, engage with people in their brokenness, in their desperate search for, well, I might as well try this, I'm dying anyway, and, and actually help them and share with them as one beggar shares with another beggar. That's what made Billy Graham so powerful was his sense of love and urgency. He, he was kind of the ultimate <laughs> beggar showing another beggar where he found food. So the question I simply want to ask you today is as, you, as we turn this story toward ourselves a little bit, which do you need God to give you more of for this season? Do you, do you need him to give you more love or you, do you need him to give you more urgency? Maybe it's both, I don't know. Maybe you've never even thought about sharing your faith. Or maybe you see yourself more inside the city wall. Maybe you're sitting here today and going, I've never really thought Jesus could be that for me. But what do you need God to do in your life today? Do you need him to give you more love? Do you need him to give you more urgency? Because the times we're living in are dark, and the light of the gospel shines brightest in times like this. Um, my wife and I have four boys, and... Uh, for years, when they were younger, uh, whenever we would go out in public anywhere, our third son, Aaron, was a flight risk. I mean, literally, like we referred to him as a flight risk. Uh, because he is on the autism spectrum scale, a lot of times we'd go out in public and maybe the social situation would get overwhelming for him, so he would just leave. He would literally just run away. Crowded places, like, you know, where he would just disappear, just run. And uh, these situations would cause moments of great panic, right? Because you know, you got this kid that just disappears and everything just sort of stops. I remember at one, one time, 
a specific memory. I remember I had my older three boys, and we were getting ice cream somewhere. And I remember I turned around with the ice cream, you know, to give it, and Aaron's gone. He's just taken off. And so I remember saying to my older two boys, put down the ice cream, go, look for him. Let's go. I remember like we, I'm, I'm getting them like up out of their chairs, put the ice cream down, run. We run outside. We're talking to total strangers. Have you seen a boy? He's about this tall. He has light brown hair. I remember we, like, we just went crazy frantic going and looking for him. Seems kind of insensitive to my older two boys. If, if they would have stopped in that moment with their ice cream and said, Dad, hold on. We're still here. Don't we matter? Doesn't it matter that we're here? I mean, you could go home. Three out of four isn't bad. Mom will understand. Don't we matter? <laughs> in that moment, I would have said to them, if I could have stopped, I would have said to them, of course you matter. Of course I love you every bit as much as I love him. But you are not lost. He is. And what I know is that he will not find his way back on his own. Someone has to go look for him. And someone has to go look for him urgently, right now. Right now. I remember that, that day we found Aaron finally, and, and the, the thing he said, he said, Dad, I was looking for you the whole time. I don't doubt that you were, buddy. That, that's where people are. They're, they're looking the whole time. They're looking for God the whole time. They don't even necessarily know it, but that's what they're doing. And they're lost, and they will not find their way back on their own. And that's where you and I come in. In the times that we're living in right now, how do we fight the battle? We need God to give us a sense of love and urgency for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our family members who don't know Jesus. Baptism Sunday is one month from now, four Sundays from now. My prayer for all of you in this room and all of you watching online is that you'll have a moment sometime this next week, sometime today, where you'll go, wait a minute. This is not right. This is a day of good news. How dare I keep it to myself? How dare I not have a sense of love and urgency? Good news is most clearly seen in the backdrop of horrible, difficult, life-sick circumstances. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he says to us, to God's people, he says, you are Christ's ambassadors, as if God was making his appeal through you. So here's what I'd love to do this morning. I'd love to just take some time right now and just carve out a space to just sit and let God speak to you. It's not about guilt. It's not about condemnation. This is about recognizing, wow, look at the, the life that God's given us. Look at the hope he's given us. Look at the abundance he's given us. And with great joy, just that same feeling of I can't write the text message fast enough. I can't put it out there fast enough. Does God want to give you that sense of love and that urgency to share the good news? I want you just to listen to the words of this song. Let it, let it penetrate your heart. Uh, the words of this song are God's invitation to you. The leper at the entrance of the city gate. And not only is this God's invitation to you today, but this is also God's invitation that he wants to make through you to others.